Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the just when they think they've got you game set match. Oh, 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 here comes the comeback. Addition is Joe Burrow and offensive line coach Frank Pollock return to Paul Brown Stadium. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me for a 30-minute conversation as we discuss those comebacks and answer the Ask Lap questions that you submitted on Twitter. Plus, we'll talk to special teams coordinator and assistant head coach Darren Simmons. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a new toothbrush. I went to the dentist last week. Shout out to Dr. Eric Lenz. And as is always the case, I left his office with a little goodie bag, including a new toothbrush. And the first time I brushed my teeth with it, I was reminded of how good it feels to use a brand new one. According to the American Dental Association, a toothbrush is typically in good working order for about three to four months. So, if it's been longer than that, and the brushes are frayed and pointing every which way, buy yourself a new toothbrush. It'll put a smile on your face. Hopefully, an even brighter one. Now, time for Dave Lapham to answer my questions and yours. Lap, let's start with the return of Joe Burrow to Cincinnati. He'll be rehabbing five days a week at Paul Brown Stadium, and he did a Zoom call with reporters on Tuesday. What stood out to you in that Zoom call? I think his positive attitude about the rehab. Um, you know, I, I think that he feels like he's a quick healer. Uh, the, the torn rotator cuff that he had surgery on and the quick healing process that he's gone through already from a rehab standpoint, I think, is an indicator you know, that that's, that's how his body type is, uh, which is, which is encouraging. And, you know, the thing about him is every grind is a challenge. And this might be the biggest grind slash challenge of his, of his uh, career, obviously, but I think he's up to it. I think in his mind, he wants to be, have the training staff and the rehab people say he's the best we ever had. Joe Burrow wants to be number one in everything. And that's, that's the way he approaches it. And, uh, and I think that's a that's a good thing, obviously. I liked how he acknowledged the need to be better on the deep ball. I think sometimes athletes will kind of dance around something that was a weakness or a problem. And he he addressed that head on, even saying that he needs to get bigger and stronger. Yeah, I, I think that that, uh, you know, sometimes guys, players, really good players are the last ones to realize they still have things they need to uh, get better at, you know they quote think they've arrived as such. I don't think Joe Burrow is the kind of guy that'll ever think he's arrived. I think he's one of those guys that is always going to, you know, strive to be better, find a weakness, build on that. And then, uh, and then take a positive and make that even better. You know, I, I think he just across the board, he's always never going to be satisfied. Uh, always going to want to strive to be better. And that's what makes the, the good ones. Great. He said something else that caught my ear, and this also gets back to something he said in his interview with uh, Colin Cowherd last week. When Cowherd talked to him about what he can improve on from his rookie year, what lessons he learned, he specifically brought up the Colts game and said 
he learned that when it's 21 nothing in the NFL, you cannot take your foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, today's offense is the way people can attack, the excellence at the quarterback position. Uh, no lead is safe. There, there's no question about it. That's why, you know, in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game, when they jumped out to that 21 nothing lead, I thought, well, yeah, that's a good, that's a good indicator that, uh, that this game could turn out well for them tonight, but it's certainly not over. Uh, and, you know, even Chris and Al were talking about when they in the second, in the third quarter, it was still a two score game plus. They're like, this football game's not over. And that's just life in the National Football League. There's no question about it. And that's something that, uh, you know, you have to adjust to for sure. So Burrow hopes to be throwing in mid-February, 12 weeks after surgery. And he seems confident that he'll be ready to go in time for week one of the regular season next year. Do you have any concern about him pushing too hard? I think that's always a concern with the guy of Joe Burrow's makeup. You know, Joe, Joe is, uh, he's a very self-motivated guy. You don't have to light a firecracker onto Joe's butt to get him going, man. You know, he, he wakes up ready to roll every single day. Um, so I think that honestly, yeah, the thing that you have to think about if you're directing his rehab, like Nick Cosgrave is going to, Nick, Nick is excellent. Nick's as good as there is in the, in the world, really, in doing what he does, is you're going to have to put a harness on him and continue to pull him back. You don't have to worry about pushing him. He's going to push himself. But, you know, if, if you feel like, boy, you know, my experience tells me, even though he might be able to do it at this stage, might be doing a little too much, I'm going to pull him back, pull the reins a little bit, and, uh, you know, try to tame this wild bronken buck right now. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's kind of that's kind of the mindset that uh, everybody's going to have to approach it with, and, and Joe's going to have to realize that these guys know. You know, it's not it's not anything personal. It's not like they're trying to, you know, retard your uh, rehab process or anything like that. But you have to have trust and faith in in your rehab people to make sure that you don't become your own worst enemy. You know, you don't do too much because there there are going to be setbacks, and you don't want there to be self-imposed setbacks. Those are the worst setbacks to have when you do it to yourself. All right, let's move on to the return of Frank Pollock as the offensive line coach. Were you at all surprised the Bengals were able to lure him back considering that Zach didn't try to keep him in the first place when Frank was still under contract a couple of years ago? Yeah, that, that was a, an interesting uh, situation. I think it shows um, that, that both men aren't small, you know? I mean, it was a situation where, all right, Zach had made a commitment that he was going to go with Jim Turner. And uh, I, I think, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Mike Brown would have liked Zach to interview, you know, uh, Frank and see what he thought. But at that point, I think Frank, through the grapevine or whatever, I think he knew that, you know, Zach was, was his, had his guy, had his guy, Jim Turner. So I, I think and I'm going to credit Mike Brown on this. Obviously, Frank asked Mike Brown probably to say, look, would you please just let me go? because I have opportunities out there. Don't, don't, uh, don't make it a situation where you might want me to hang around and interview with a guy that I know has already made his mind up. Can I go somewhere else and, and take advantage of an opportunity that might present itself? So bottom line is no bridges were burned anywhere. You know, I think there was a healthy dose of respect everywhere. Frank said right away that he appreciated the way that he was treated by the Brown family uh, upon his return. So it tells me that not only the way he was treated while he was here, but when he exited, he was treated with respect. So I think the fact that, uh, that that's the way they parted ways, I think led to coming back together again. And, uh, and, and I think 
the run game coordinator, even though, you know, it's just a title, uh, how much responsibility will come with that title. I think there will be some. And I think that, you know, in, in the in the progression of Frank Pollock's career, to have that title uh, in addition to offensive line coach and probably economically uh, was a benefit as well to have that title. Uh, then you come back and, and, and put things back together again. And I, I see them working well together. And um, the good thing is the players that were here when Frank was here the first time are excited about his return. And that's always a big plus. Joe Mixon among them. Uh, Joe Burrow told us in that Zoom interview yesterday that Joe Mixon called him up after Frank Pollock was announced and was, quote, hooting and hollering. Why do you think Frank is so popular among players? I think it's his, uh, his whole uh, approach to the game of football. You know, some guys talk about their love of the game. Frank doesn't have to talk about it. He just shows it all the time. It oozes out of his pores, you know. Um, and he played, you know, he played nine years in the NFL as a player. So he understands a lot of what the guys are thinking, what they're going through, um, you know, from, from firsthand experience. And I think that's always a plus. I mean, I think he feels like he can relate to the locker room because he did as a player and he knows, he knows the type of coach that he respected as a player. So he wants to be that type of coach and make sure that he builds those kind of relationships. So I, I think all of that is a, is a part of the equation. Plus, you know, he's damn good at what he does. I mean, he's really a good, he teaches not only schematic, not only does he teach a, a good scheme that you can believe in. And that's very important. Are you buying, honestly buying what your coach is selling? And I think with Frank, guys really do uh, consume and buy everything he's selling in terms of his schematic, his technique. Um, and he doesn't just teach technique. He teaches, you know, how to do, how to, how to execute the technique. Here's what I want you to do. And here's why I want you to do it. And when you have those questions answered, you know, it's much easier to uh, digest, you know, and, and I think he also is a, 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 as a former player, I think he felt like when I come off the field, if I have something to say to my coach, I hope my coach listens to it, you know, and, and appreciates it a little bit. So I think he realizes he, he knows that Hopkins is smart. He knows Bobby Hart's smart. He knows there are some smart guys, intelligent football IQ guys in that, uh, in that up front. If they come off the field and say something, you know, it's like, I don't know if I can believe that. I think he, there's, there's a trust there, you know, that develops between the line coach and the linemen. And I, I think that's a, that's a big factor. I've always, always said that when a coach has both, uh, they, they both respect and like, I mean, that that's, and you don't necessarily have to like them, but when that does happen, when you have both, man, there's a synergistic effect there. And I've said before, and I still maintain that the guy that I saw that the best example of ever, that, of that I've ever seen is Dick LeBeau. I don't think there's one ex player of Dick LeBeau whether he was, quote, disgruntled about lack of playing time or whatever, that does not love and respect Dick LeBeau as a coach. That's hard to do. And I think Frank, because of, you know, his experience as a player, Dick was a, you know, Hall of Fame player as well as a Hall of Fame coach. Frank was, a, you know, played a long time in the National Football League. That's hard to do. And I think players both respect, you know, and like Frank as well. Use of the word synergistic has just elevated the intelligence level of this podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, Billy Price is another guy who very uh, publicly came out in support of this move. He, he clearly looks at it like a new lease on life. Do you think Billy or anybody else in particular benefits from the return of Frank Pollock? I think that 
the thing that you have to uh, go with into it with, and I think Frank is doing it as well. It's kind of it's a clean slate, you know. I, I'm going to start by examining tape and and see what I see with my own eyes in terms of what talent is available to me uh, on the current roster. I, who's approaching free agency? Who's back for sure? All those kind of things. Can they play? Um, but you know, uh, uh, Billy had a great relationship with Frank when they were when they were first uh, together. So you would expect that to continue. And, and Billy is looking for a, a fresh start, obviously a new lease on life as such. The thing that Billy has to do is continue to try to improve on the areas where he's had problems. And in my mind, his big thing is balance. Because of his arms being a little bit short, he's out of balance a lot. You know, he's overextended, his, his chin's over his skis. And, you know, he's, he's on the ground some. So that, that's the biggest thing. I don't care who the coach is. If they can't figure out together with the player how to keep that player in balance and, and let him, you know, stay on his feet and finish plays, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, maybe Frank has has some ideas to help Billy with that, you know, that that uh, Jim didn't. And and maybe Billy can respond to that and, uh, and make an adjustment. And it's all about, you know, adjustments. And sometimes sometimes the coaching change is just what a player needs. Uh, people say, oh, he, he went to a – um, he, he got a, a fresh start, new location, you know, new environment. You can get that internally instead of not necessarily a new place, but a new environment. I mean, it's, it's the guy you, you deal with every single day of practice, your coach. When that changes, everything changes. So offensive line coaches filled. Troy Walters is reportedly being promoted to become the wide right. receivers coach. They right. still have vacancies at defensive line coach and running backs coach, as far as we know, at least. Any thoughts on what they should be looking for there? If I'm the head coach, get together with um, my, the rest of my position coaches on offense and say, who have you coached with that you really think is an outstanding running back? Give me your guys' input. Who do you think would mesh well? you know, with, with the rest of these coaches? Who do you think would mesh w well with the type of personalities we have, you know, players that they're going to be coaching? Um, and and there's always uh, some, you know, a list can be made up of that because th then, the, then the, uh, the mesh would be easier because there'd be some familiarity a little bit. And the same with defense. I would, I would sit down, uh, you know, if I'm Lou Anarumo uh, or Zach, you know, I'd sit down with Lou and offense sit down with Brian Callahan and say, you know, make a list based on what your assistants are saying and you make me a list of guys that you feel would, would, uh, would mesh well, marry well with the rest of our coaching staff and let's target them instead of doing this big, you know, bullseye target, this big target. Why don't we bullseye it a little bit and, and see if we can come up with somebody that would, uh, would fit in philosophically uh, what we're trying to do, how we're trying to teach it, all those kind of things. All right, I am putting you in the shoes of Duke Tobin. Yes. Give me your top three priorities in order. You're talking about from a position standpoint? Yes, sir. I would talk about uh, initially both lines of scrimmage, Dan, one and two, you know, however you want to do it, one and one A. It doesn't, because even in this era of all kinds of formations, all kinds of personnel groupings, window dressing, motion, jet sweep, all this crap. Who advanced in the playoffs? The teams that won the line of scrimmage, period. The teams that won the line of scrimmage. Cleveland beat Pittsburgh up, up front, on both sides of the ball. I was, I was very surprised about it. But I, I guess I shouldn't have been because Cleveland, pro football focus, has the Cleveland Browns 
number one rated run team, uh, run game O line and pass protection O line, mm. and they played and they played that way. So uh, I I think that I think it starts there. It starts there. I think you have to f- find out who's who you're going to be able to uh, make sure you don't lose anything in free agency, obviously, and what you might be able to retain in free agency, and then go to the draft and approach it accordingly based on what happened in free agency first and foremost. But then I would address both lines of scrimmage um, initially. I would. I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I, I think whenever guys have big games, guys up front played well as well and gave an opportunity. You know, you can have very talented players and they can look very average if the offensive line is getting overwhelmed by the defensive line and vice versa. So if O-line and D-line are one and two in either order, do you have a third priority? You know, I, I would, uh, depending on what happens on the back end, I, I just think, you know, if I've got a, my defensive line addressed and my offensive line addressed, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, somebody to cover people on the back mm-hmm. end. I, I do think it's a, it's a uh, you know, it's a passing league still, even though teams that are running the football did well in the, in the playoffs. Uh, Cleveland ran it well. Obviously, Baltimore ran it well. We, we know that the AFC North, all other than Pittsburgh now, which is crazy for me to even think to say and then say it, they, they can't run the football. That's amazing. But, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think having a, a cover guy back there, but still in my mind, Dan, uh, you, you, can, you can still get away with not having top-notch cover people if you have an outstanding pass rush. If you have no pass rush, you have to address – the back end but even even with that you can't cover people forever back there it's impossible the athletes are too good so uh if you pass rush and coverage go hand in hand it's yin and yang but i uh i would still try to improve both of those errors in that side of the football all right i threw out an invitation on twitter for ask lap questions they came pouring in this week many about the draft uh-huh. So we'll start with Sam, and, and basically many people ask the same question with different wording. Did the performance of Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith in the national championship game make you rethink what the Bengals should do with the fifth pick? And, and JT put it this way, if Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith are all there at number five, who do you think the Bengals should take? I, I'm like – following along what I talked about just a little bit ago. I'm a Sewell guy at that point. I, I think all those guys are uh, phenomenal players, great weapons, but, you know, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd still have guys. If you don't have people up front that are giving your quarterback an opportunity to not be affected by what he, the first stage of it is, oh my God, I want to get, I don't want to be watching the pass rush and being concerned there. I got to get my eyes downfield to coverage. And if you're getting hit, quarterbacks, I mean, they don't get their eyes downfield as quickly as they should, you know, and, and there's a whole, and then, and then it just kind of unfolds and unravels from there. But um, I've seen, I've seen great skill people wasted because they weren't given an opportunity to perform. Uh, But if, if, if honestly, if stool's gone, for example, at number five, and I think he might go as high as number two, I think the Jets might take him at number two. Uh, So if if he, and, and, you know, and try to develop Darnold. And, and, and that tackle would help develop him. They have one and maybe try to get the bookend tackle and, and see if Donald can develop. Uh, but if, if Sewell is gone and the next tackle is, you know, on my board is down there at, you know, 10 or 11, 
and I'm picking at five, and I've got these receivers that would would be closer to the top five, I I'd stay true to my board. You know, I I would I would think about it at that point in time. I still would always, if it's close, I would I would draft uh, by need. If it's not a huge disparity and where I have them ranked on my board, but if, if there's a pretty good disparity there, if it's you know you're dropping out of the top five with a guy, you're picking at fifth, and you're dropping out of the top five, and you're maybe barely staying in the top ten with a position of need. I might stay true to my board and see if I can get it done early in the second round with the, with the bigger need. A related question to that from JoJo Jammer: If you trade down, how far are you willing to go? If I'm if I'm trading down, I I've got to have at least two guys in mind that I'd be comfortable with. So if I'm trading down to say number twelve, and I don't think one of the two guys that I'm comfortable with trading back, I, I think there's no way that both of them are going to be gone. I'd trade back. But if my mind is dicey, if both of them might be gone, I wouldn't trade back that far. You know, I, I, I'd always, I would never trade back thinking I have this guy in mind and that's the guy that's going to, you never know. You have to have a plan B. You can't, you can, in my mind, you can never trade back if you don't have two people that, you know, on your board, aren't. there's not a big disparity with them on the board. They're about the same spot on the board, maybe a couple of different positions, but at the same spot on the board that you'd be good with if you traded back and, and then getting the additional pick, you might be able to address the other need that you had of the two options, you know, with that extra pick or your fifth pick in the second round. Um, but I would never trade back for one specific guy thinking, oh, I'm going to get him. Man, the draft's fickle. I'm telling you, you'll get slapped right across the face and doing that. From Three Kid Taxi. Great title, by the way. Uh, and this is related to the possibility of potentially drafting Devontae Smith. Is there a fear of drafting players from Alabama? It seems like they have injury issues once they're selected. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting because particularly at the running back position, because Nick Saban works those horses. I mean, he runs those horses. He doesn't uh, he doesn't walk them around the track, man. They're always running. <laughs> and, and, and his practices are pretty physical. So there has been you know, a very pretty long history of running backs that have uh, have been injured when they're at Alabama, either that or come out and are injured pretty quickly early in their career because, you know, it does, in my mind, it does make a ton of sense. You only have so many carries in that body, you know, physical carries. And if you're burning them up early, you know, that's a, that, that's a little bit of a consideration. But uh, to me, the, the trend was so, uh, dynamic that it was it wasn't just oh that's a coincidence you know there has to be a little bit more to it than that but at the receiver position I'm I'm not really sure I mean the thing obviously the thing about Smith that is going to concern people he's 177 pounds you know he was a buck 66 when he was a freshman at at, uh, at Alabama and they beat him up a unbelievable 11 pounds you know but he's wiry he's still strong but and and the SEC and the and the playoffs those are good players, but the NFL is a cut above. I mean, the NFL, the corners run faster linebacker. When he, when he beat the Ohio state linebacker, um, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not going to beat a linebacker in the NFL, but it might be a better match than it was in that college game. It, they hit hard. They're, they're bigger, faster, stronger, and can run. That means there's going to be bigger impact. And, you know, you're always, you're, you always worry about a guy at that size, you know, with that kind of impact coming across the middle of the football field, for example, or what have you. So, um, yeah, he's, that, that, I guess that's something 
that you have to think about these. He's overcome it at every level. And when guys overcome it to the, to the level that he has in terms of the best, <laughs> he came out of nowhere. And this guy, he wasn't even, he wasn't even the number one receiver at Alabama going into the season until there was injury, broken ankle. And that, you, you gotta, you gotta give him a ton of respect, but um, it's a, it's a small sample size but it's a hellacious sample size. There's no doubt about it. From Bengals Bobby, did you respond better in your playing days to a Jim Turner coaching style or a Frank Pollock coaching style? Uh, back when I played, there was, it was more universally a Jim Turner coaching style. And uh, so you didn't really experience, uh, you know, the, the other, it, I'm not saying it didn't happen. And I'm not saying I didn't have uh, coaches, line coaches, a couple that weren't more like, uh, the Frank Pollock coaching style. And I, I think the Frank Pollock coaching style in today's NFL works better because players, I mean, it's not that we didn't want to ask why, but you just didn't. It just, that was the, that was the culture. What a coach said was gospel. And whether you believe it or not, you better change your beliefs because it's gospel today. And I believe, I think this has improved the game. Today, everybody says, why? Why, coach? Just tell me why, just so I can understand it. I, I think that you have to you have to change with the times. I think coaches have to adapt, and I think um, you know personality and being able to deal with different players. Nobody's the exact same physically, and that's that's where I think Frank um, basically excels. Is he's got his techniques, Dan, but it's not like one size fits all. Well, we may have to modify this technique because you've got short arms. You have a long trunk, but shorter arms. And you can do this because you have long arms and a shorter trunk. Not everybody's the same physically. So he does a good job of, of you know, being malleable with his technique to, uh, to be able to, you know, be an amoeba, you know, and adjust to the, all, all the different body types. Same with the personalities. I mean, no, nobody's the exact same personality-wise. So if you're going to adjust how you do things from a technique standpoint – and I think they're much better doing that these days. Co line coaches are in the NFL. Back in the day, it was more like, this is what we're doing it, boys, and this is how we're doing it, and no questions asked. Yes, sir, coach. And now it's much different. You know, here's, here's what I want done, but if you, your body doesn't really quite able to handle that, let's figure out a way to adjust that technique a little bit. And the same thing with input on, on um, you know, how to block a certain configuration or – Whatever the case may be, I, I think it's. Uh, I think you do have to have a different working relationship with players, and, I, and I'm not saying the thing about Frank that, that I, I respect Dan is um, he does listen, but he's the decision maker. It's not a democracy, it's it's not a dictatorship, but and he'll listen, but he's still the decision maker. They're not going to make the decision for him, but he's going to listen and get feedback, you know, and decide. And, and I think, I think that's all valuable. I think players appreciate it. All right. I'm going to combine questions from Tim and Ryan. Tim asked, do you think the Bengals will sign a couple of veteran offensive linemen in the free agent market? Ryan asked, which free agent offensive lineman would you target? And he listed these names, Joe Tooney, Brandon Scherf, John Miller, Alejandro Villanueva, and Austin Blythe. I'll throw in a couple of others that are out there, Trent Williams and Taylor Moten. So will they sign veteran offensive uh, alignment? And is there anybody that would especially excite you? 
Yeah, I, I, I haven't looked at, uh, at that much tape of a lot of these guys um, to see how they're playing currently. The one thing that I would not do is sign somebody based on reputation. You know, it's because I'm telling you, we, we see that some players get to a certain uh, stage of their career and they fall off a cliff. Other players don't. And you never know where that cliff is. And you, you never know when that fall is starting. So from one year to the next, the level of play of a, of a guy may be dramatically different. And if you give a guy a ton of money based on how he performed, you know, over the last three years, but that last year wasn't really as good as the other two, you know, I, I wouldn't want to get caught in that trap. Um, all those guys are really good football players or they, or they have been. I, I would not give a lot of money to Villanueva at this stage of his career. I think he's, he's definitely on the back nine. And, you know, if, if Pittsburgh wants to play, pay him for being a great player for them all those years, great. But I, if I'm the Bengals, I'm not going to pay him for being a great Steeler. I want him to be a great Bengal. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in what he did with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and, and it's that way with, with everybody. And sometimes when guys do, it, it, is, it is strange when guys do change locations, sometimes their level of play changes too, whether it be they really had a fit with an offensive line coach they were with for six years in their career. And then they go somewhere else and it's a different line coach with different techniques like we're talking about. And damn it, we're doing it this way. I don't care that's the way you used to do it. We're doing it this way. All of a sudden, he's a different player. You know, it's it's weird how some of that stuff unfolds. So I can understand why some teams have the, the philosophy and mindset of, in a perfect world, we want to keep our coaching staff intact for continuity, and we want to build through the draft and let that marriage happen. Let the same guys develop those players. You know, if, if it's working. Obviously, if it's not working, you got to make adjustments. So there, there's no, you know, there's no... Um, 100% given truism, you know, on free agency or, or really anything else. I mean, if it were that exact a science, everybody would win every game, and that's impossible. Um, but I, I would I would think about – I think they've got plenty of options inside, Dan. I think the veteran players have proven at the end of the season. They got, you know, uh, Suofilo knows what he's doing. Uh, there, there's, there's no question about it. And, um, you know, it, They've got players, veteran players that played multiple positions and definitely can play guard. If you can play tackle, you can play guard in the National Football League. You know, do you develop Big Fred? I mean, all those things, that's what Frank's doing now is he's trying to see how these guys play. Looking at their body mechanics on tape, does that fit the techniques that I'm going to that, – that kind of fits the techniques I, I'm going to try to uh, teach here. And then go out in free agency of the guys that are available. Is that a better option? Man, look at this guy's body type. That's perfect for what I want done. That's perfect for – how I want it done. All of that has to take place. But I do think if they could, if they could find uh, an improvement on the edge. That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. I think in free agency, if they can get it done. From Marty, what will the Bengals do about a backup quarterback? Well, that's a great question. You know, the one thing that uh, you, you can't just worry about economics, but the thing about Finley He's still on a rookie contract as well. So, you know, can you, do you look at him as, can, is he a guy that can get you through a game or boy, do you need to make sure you have a guy like what happened this year, a guy that is going to have to get you through a handful of football games. Is that Ryan Finley? You know, and, and okay, okay, the attractiveness is still on a rookie contract, but still very, very inexperienced. He won a big game for you with a very creative game plan. Um, 
you, you got to go out and get something else, in my opinion. How much money do you spend on that backup quarterback? Um, how much salary cap room do you, you try to, uh, you try to uh, uh, you know, take up in that regard? Did Brandon Allen do enough? You talk about a roller coaster. I mean, you know, quarterback rating was in the 120s, uh, over 75% completion percentage, and then the following week, down to a squadoosh, a big goose egg. Those, that's, a, that's a meteoric, that's a heck of a rise and a big fall, man. That's, that's a bigger deal than the beast. That's peaks and valleys bigger than the beast up at Kings Island. So, yeah, you, do you decide? I do think, though, they like him. I do think they like him. And I do think that uh, his performances were based on who he was playing against. And you have to factor that in. But overall, do you think you can get through multiple games with, with that type of player? And they did, you know, and, and, and it was, it was not, uh, it was competitive. I mean, I, it looked like an NFL operation out there to me with him at quarterback. So I think you have to definitely evaluate him and then see what else is out there and how much, uh, how much does it cost? Last one from Daniel. Would you re-sign Carl Lawson or Will Jackson if you could only keep one? Yeah, that's uh, that's the big if. And I, I'd probably tr- make sure that I kept Lawson because you don't have any pass rush. He's, he's the only guy that gave you consistent pass rush. Now, Hubbard was injured, and when he came back to play, Sam, Sam emptied the effort, you know, bucket every snap. But even, you know, even a guy like Sam, Physically, you're only allowed, your body's only saying you can do so much with that bad elbow. So he was, you know, trying to do stuff with one arm, you know, and did it well. But, and I think he's going to be fine. That gives you a second option. But to me, you paid all this money for Trey Waynes. Never got a snap out of him. I'm saying, all right, if I lose Carl Lawson, what do I have up front? If I lose Will, at least I have Trey Waynes. And I thought he was one of the best in the league. I gave him a ton of money. You know, and at least I'd have somebody else there. Who's my guy if I don't sign Carl Lawson? And then you can address, you know, the position group in the draft. You know, it's like if I keep Carl Lawson and address in the draft and, or, or keep Carl Lawson and lose Will, like we were talking about, cornerback is a need. You know, maybe you have to move that, uh, that position group up, up even a little bit in terms of need. So free agency dictates draft. It always has and it always will, the yin and yang of that. But um, – I don't know which is easier to find in the draft, a real significant, meaningful pass rusher that translates well to the national football league or a cover guy. That's a, that's a, that's a good question. That's a hell of a question. And what this, this particular draft, you know, if you, if you're, if you're trying to decide who to sign in free agency, what's out there in free agency, if I lose my guy, what's in the draft, if I lose my guy at either one of those positions, which one can I afford to lose? Because there's more depth. To, to fill that in other free agents we could sign and the draft potentially, or we can double down. So I think there's some, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking that goes into it, but in my mind, I still maintain <laughs> if you can affect the quarterback right away with a good pass rusher, it's easier to cover back there. And I'm not saying you get anybody, you know, any, uh, any Joe off the street to do it. It's not like that. But if I had my choice, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a pass rush that gives the quarterback less than three seconds, 90% of the snaps, or a secondary that has, you know, two really good corners? I'd take that pass rush. The other thing about Carl Lawson, Dan, is he affected the run game better this year. So 
if you're if I'm building a defense, I want to make sure I can stop the run and rush the passer with that. That starts up front. And then the back end is the second, okay, complement that pass rush with good coverage. Now you have to have guys that'll, you know, set an edge and tackle a corner, but you have to have guys that can affect the run and the pass. And Carl Lawson showed he's not a one-trick pony. He he showed himself against the run a little bit. So to me, stop the run, put him in must passing situations, have a pass rusher that can affect the quarterback and then have Trey Waynes back there. If you lose Will Jackson, if you have them both, that's even better. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Carl Lawson, I guess. All right. People are always asking me, when's lap? I'm going to get a, a Twitter account. I tell them it's never going to happen, but this is the next best thing. You have answered their Ask Lab questions. Appreciate it, Dan, and you're exactly right. I think never's a long time, but not that long. <laughs> <laughs> the Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Despite a final record of 4-11-1, there was a unit that performed well for the Bengals in 2020, the special teams. According to Football Outsiders, the Bengals graded out ninth best in the NFL in overall special teams play and second in the AFC North behind Baltimore. Recently, special teams coordinator Darren Simmons joined Lap and Me to discuss the play of his group. Darren, what were the bright spots for you in 2020? Well, um, you know, I, I think as a unit overall, anytime you don't give up a lot of explosive play, block kicks, returns for touchdowns, that, that's one positive. Uh, you know, I, I think the fact that we were able to pull together some, some guys really stepped up this year when we lost a couple of players, you know, one of which there were core foundations, what we do like Clayton, Fedzone. I thought we had some veteran guys uh, really step up and, and play well and and do a lot for us you know there's a couple guys that that really come to mind you know early in the year whenever sean williams is hurt giovanni bernard really stepped up and fulfilled a couple roles until sean could kind of get back after a a, uh, i believe it was a hamstring or calf whatever he had there early on and then sean really played his tail off and it was really a, a big part of what we uh did throughout the season so i think you know being able for him to um transition a little bit from his role on our team um, from being a starting safety to being a really a core special teams player was a really bright spot for me, something that I'm personally very proud of him of. Um, you know, I, I thought our punt team, in terms of phase work, I thought our punt team did a nice job really the whole year with the exception of maybe one play against Pittsburgh. They gave up a 40-yard return um, to McLeod. Otherwise, I thought we covered pretty well there. You know, I, I thought uh, um, relative to uh, the number of kicks we were getting to, to – uh, return. I thought our kickoff return team was, was solid. Um, you know, we had opportunity to even make a couple more plays, but I, I thought Brandon Wilson's play um, in that regard after he came back after an injury or even before his injury and came back, I, I thought was good. So um, th- there were a couple, there were some bright spots. Obviously we, we uh, um, I always want more. Um, and, you know, anytime we set out in this thing, our goals to, to be the best, to be the best in the league. And, and we were, fell a little short of that, but um, you know, all in all, I was pretty proud of the way we played. Football outsiders always rate your your uh, your special teams amongst the best in the NFL, and, and rightfully so. And uh, in terms of actual kicking the football, Kevin Huber went into the last game seventh in the NFL in average and sixth in net. And uh, and then you obviously were evaluating Cybert uh, in, in, over Randy Bullock uh, down mm-hmm. the stretch of the season. Where do you stand with respect to? 
the seasons those guys had and and what you anticipate for training camp in 2021? Well, I'll start with Kevin first. Obviously, it was an important year for Kevin. He's a, he's a uh, an unrestricted free agent, so it was, it was important for him to punt well. And I think he answered the bell as he has, you know, the last several years. Um, I thought he got off to a really good start. He punted, he punted well uh, up until probably the last couple games of the year. Um, but he had some some issues that uh, I know he probably didn't finish as strongly as he wanted to. But uh, and it's not going that's not going to show up a lot statistically. Um, but but I, I know he wanted to punt a little better down the stretch. You know, obviously it would have been unbelievable if, if we could have uh, made the play on the on the uh, seventy whatever it was two yard punt yesterday would have been an unbelievable play to right. kind of help cap his season off. Um, but but all in all, I was, I was, I've been pleased with with him. You know, it, uh, it it's such a weight off my shoulders to have somebody that I know and somebody that I trust. And, and somebody who knows uh, exactly what I want out of each play and, and, and how to manage that, whether it's punting or holding, um, is, is a big deal to me. And uh, he's continued to do that at a high level, I think. Um, you know, And I think probably the last two years have been two of his better years statistically in his career. So that's pretty unique. He's kind of getting uh, – he's really been able to hold his, his line of production you know, over time and actually improve in some areas. You know, in terms of the kicking situation, um, it, it's something that we've got to talk about as a uh, staff and as an organization as to what we do going forward. Obviously, Austin uh, Seibert is somebody that uh, is under contract. You know, he's still under his rookie contract because we claimed him from, from uh, Cleveland. So he's still under his rookie contract. So he's still, uh, you know, in, again, under contract with us. Um, you know, our, our discussion with Randy Bullock will take place here, you know, over the course of the coming time as to where we want to go. Randy's a free agent also. Um, and how we want to approach that, if we want to have him back and have a competition um, for that spot in, in uh, 2021. Again, it's still very early. Sure. And I don't have a, a concrete answer for that yet, right. unfortunately. But uh, we, we certainly will over the coming days. But, again, it's obviously a, a, a position that we, we've got to get better production out of. We're visiting with special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. Darren, after you re-signed this past season prior, prior to this year, uh, we had a long conversation and you talked about your burning desire to win again. Uh, obviously, you know, you do this because it's your job, partly, and you've got a family to support and all of that, but you've been in the league long enough where the ring is the thing. Uh, you're trying to, mm-hmm. to win a Super Bowl title. How difficult have the last couple of, been, uh, last couple of years been for you personally? Oh, it's really been a struggle for me personally. It, uh, uh, you know, it's like I told our players uh, on uh, our Saturday night Zoom, our last real meeting, special teams meeting. You know, I, I wrapped it up. I thanked a couple of our our captains and and really everybody in general. I mean, I've got such a special group of guys that, man, every time I asked something of them, they answered the bell. They never blinked. Everybody knew the. Uh, the landscape, the situation we're in with, with the pandemic and how different things were. And, and uh, uh, you know, I really appreciated their efforts this year because it, it, is, it is tough, you know, when you're not winning games, even though we may be doing some things and trying to contribute as, as much as we can in the kicking game, when you're not winning games, you, just, you don't feel um, the culmination of your work. You, you don't feel the positive side of that, 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 uh, that it affects enough. And, you know, I, I told our players, and I firmly believe this, I said, I, I, you know, I really, I play, and I, I, I coach, I'll play. I coach this game for, for two things, for two goals. And uh, number one, it's uh, to win the Super Bowl. I mean, you, uh, that's the ultimate goal um, that I have is to win the Super Bowl. We've obviously fallen short of that in my time here. I said the second one, <laughs> the one thing I can't control is we do it for respect. 
And, and I think you do it for respect to your peers and more importantly, respect to your opponents. And uh, so the one thing that I, that I, that you can grasp Matt, is, is, is every, every time I go across the field at the end of the game to shake the other guy's hand, you know, I, I want to feel like I've earned his respect. And that, that's the one silver lining uh, that I've been able to, to get out of it. But again, it, it, it has been, um, I'll be lying if I said otherwise, it, it's been very difficult. Um, uh, you know, to not win. And um, that's something obviously we got to try to work to improve on just as a team in general, certainly us in the kicking game too. Uh, we all have a hand in it. We all have a hand in and Everybody has a hand in, in when things don't go right. Um, you just want to have, you just want to make sure you have a hand in it when you're succeeding too. And we, we got to get more of that for sure. But it, uh, it's really been a, a struggle. You're not going anywhere. You're the best in the business and the Bengals have you under contract and you're an assistant head coach. You are a resource that if I were a head coach, I'd be tapping into. You've been here a long time. You've been here in successful times. You've been here in times that have not been quite as successful. You have a, a, a vast, uh, huge knowledge of, of uh, you're an encyclopedia, basically, of almost uh, two decades of what's gone on here in Cincinnati. Do you feel like your opinions uh, are going to be sought after? And, and if they're not, will you give them unsolicited? <laughs> Well, I, I want it to be certainly be a collaborative thing. I, you know, I I really appreciate the. I, I did feel like after, if you want to call it gaining that title this past offseason, Zach um, did come to me with a lot of things, and that's something that I certainly appreciate. You know that that uh, that he entrusted my opinions, what my thoughts were when he asked for them. Um, there's some things that I will give him that I if I feel that can help affect things uh, or help things in some manner, I'm certainly going to give him my thoughts um, that way. But, but in the end, ultimately it's his team and, and he wants, and, and he'll put the stamp on it that he wants and, and he'll push the direction on it that he wants, whatever that may be. Um, but, but again, I, I do feel like I'm a very big part of that. I, I do feel like my, my voice or, or my opinion matters to him. I think he certainly listens to it. Um, you know, and again, like I said, collaboratively, we've we got to be, we've got to put a plan in place that, that gets us to turn the corner here. That gets us to get back to, the uh, team that uh, you know we've been in the past, and, and really push us over the top. It certainly fell short of, of that. I don't think that's any secret. Um, but you know, it, it, it's. I, I hope going forward here, after me having a year under my belt of being really in this role for the first time in my career, that that uh, I can help him even more than what I have done in the past, and uh, you know we can help. Where I can help push things that uh, I think would help us improve, or or hey, maybe we should think about doing it this way because it is. I've been here a long time. I've been in this league a long time. I've, uh, uh, you know, I, I have knowledge of how, uh, you know, what my opinion may be or how I see other teams do things, and and uh, hopefully that will help. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.